Well, brethren, we as a church need to be really stirred up by the prophetic things that are beginning to occur. Mr. Crockett talked about these uh, news and prophecy comments we're beginning to put into the bulletin, and I certainly hope that you will all read those and study them, in fact, think about them, because a lot of God's people are frankly lackadaisical. Many of God's people, even in our church, are lukewarm. And we know what God says about lukewarm people. And we have to realize that, brethren. We do need to be stirred up. We need to be on fire. We are in the end of the age. There's no question about that. And now, I, having been in God's church 56 and a half years, having watched the events come and go, and all the other things come together, some failed prophecies, some failed this and that, yes, I know, but I realize now more than ever, this is it. There's so many reasons, and I'm not going to spend the whole sermon on that one aspect, but to realize that we are at the end. And I don't mean the last two or three years, but certainly the last seven to 17 years or thereabouts. Remember the word thereabouts. Everyone says don't set dates, so I say about. And we are in that time, and we need to understand it. So I hope we can be stirred up. If Mr. Herbert Armstrong were alive, as many have said, who know him, he would be jumping up and down with excitement. <laughs> He'd say, brethren, we're on the gun lap. Well, if he thought we were on the gun lap back in the 1970s, what would he say today? Because so many things have already happened. The Eastern European nations have broken free from the Soviet bloc, as he prophesied. The sea gates have already been taken away from Britain and America, all but two. I've named them. I won't try to do that today. One thing after the other. So we need to obey Jesus' command to watch and pray. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, if you would. I usually concentrate on Matthew's version of the Olivet Prophecy, but sometimes it's good to go into Luke. And I'm going to hit the high spots of some of these things just for the sake of time. Most of you know these verses pretty well, so I won't try to read every phrase, every single half verse in these passages, so we have time to get through. He says here in verse 7, they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And you know what it says in Matthew, the end of the age. That's what they ask him there. And so Jesus said, Take heed that you be not deceived. And he described the coming false prophets. First, false prophets. False ministers of Christ. Then you have all the horrible wars all through the Dark Ages and the hundred-year war between Catholic nations fighting each other in Europe and the Protestants fighting each other mainly, plus Catholics over here in our Civil War and all the rest of it, professing Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years, killing each other, butchering each other. It would be like us attacking the church in Atlanta and having a big battle. You know that would never happen among God's true people. These people were not God's people. They're deceived. They don't understand. This has gone on hundreds of years. False prophets and then wars, years of wars, and then world wars. And then there will be great earthquakes. Luke doesn't say normal. He says great earthquakes, indicating greater earthquakes than perhaps have ever been in human history. And when you read the description in Revelation and elsewhere, you say, yes, they are going to be the very greatest. Every mountain and every island will be shaken out of its place, it says in Revelation chapter 6. And so great earthquakes and famines 
It says in various places, by the way, not just in California. So he's talking about the whole world. And we've had some horrible earthquakes in the last few years. As you know, the tsunami resulted from an earthquake that killed about a quarter of a million people in Southeast Asia. Terrible earthquakes in Iran and Iraq and Indonesia and down in Mexico and all over. But they're going to begin to hit here. And I think all of you know that. God does tell us that He's going to punish us, not because He hates us, but He loves us. And we, the American and British descended peoples, have been the birthright peoples. I understand God guided Dr. Winnale to give a wonderful sermon last Sabbath on the importance of national identity, or at least that was part of it. So I trust you all know who we are. We are the descendants of the lost ten tribes of Israel. And God is going to deal with us because we have had a responsibility, knowing the Bible, sending out more Bibles, more missionaries, more doctors, more nurses, more educators than all the other nations put together. Now, to whom much is given, of him much shall be required. And we've had that opportunity, and now we're exporting pornography and filth and wretchedness all over the world. And we ourselves have the high, one of the highest divorce rates in the world and one of the highest rates of homosexuality and all other kinds of perversion that can be imagined beginning to come up here in the United States and Canada and Britain. And God is not pleased with that at all. He's going to rebuke and chasten every son He loves, including nations. So there are going to be then terrible earthquakes here, famines, terrible lack of food, starvation, and pestilence, which as you know means disease epidemics. Week by week you read about the avian flu moving across from the Far East to the Middle East to Turkey and now into Africa. Bit by bit it's coming toward us. Is it going to get here? I don't know, but I rather imagine it will. So I'm not prophesying little details. God doesn't give us every detail. And I don't want to try to guess. Some people do that and that's what makes them wrong. But the pattern is there. And that avian flu could hit us very easily within the next year and be a horrifying thing to wake our people up and bring our nation to its knees over a period of two or three years in a way that nothing has done in modern times. And there will be fearful sights. And the Greek word here, as many commentaries point out, is terrors. Terrorist acts. 9-11... And from then on, we've had terrorist acts increasingly all over the earth. Terrors or fearful sights and great signs from heaven. These are before all these things, he says they'll persecute you. And so they are going to begin to persecute God's true people. Please don't be discouraged if that takes place. That will take place. And God says it will. And he'll give us wisdom to know what to say when we're thrown in jail or charged. You will be hated by all. Verse 17 for my name's sake. We're not going to be popular. I'm sorry. We've got to be so strong and understand our beliefs and be sure in our beliefs that we are not going to be shaken by persecution. Not a hair of your head will be lost. Certainly some will die, but in the end, he shows, we will be resurrected. Then he describes Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. Verse 22, For these are the day of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. That's a remarkable verse, brethren. He says that all things that are written. This then becomes the very time of the end. And then he describes great distress in the land 
and in upon this people. And in the larger sense, I'm sure, putting all the Scriptures together, he's talking not just about the little nation of the Jews over there calling themselves Israel. They're only a tiny part of Israel. They're the nation of Judah primarily. But all the houses of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, which he does say about us back in Jeremiah chapter 30 and many other places. And beside that, Jerusalem will be trampled with the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Once again, that great city, because, of course, they've turned away from God. They don't even accept Christ. They're going to be conquered, taken into slavery once again. And it's described that way in Zechariah 14, how they're divided. One half goes into captivity, and the other half perhaps has made some type of agreement with the coming beast power in Europe until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then there will be great signs at the very end, the heavenly signs described there in uh, Revelation 6. Then verse 27, when, when they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud after the heavenly signs with great power and glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And brethren, please, as we go through these things, don't be discouraged. Jesus says, don't be discouraged. He says the, the, you know, the saving, the deliverance is near. Be grateful for that. Deliverance is near when these things start to happen. And when you think of the literally billions of human beings, and I mean billions, and I'm not exaggerating, that are either doing without food or suffering from all kinds of disease, women all over the world in Africa and Asia and the Muslim countries being oppressed and held down like dogs, sold here and there all over as sex slaves, beaten and hurt and cursed, oppressed. God is not pleased with that. True Christianity would be the salvation of women, even physically, more than any other religion on earth by far. You think about that. When God's kingdom comes, there are going to be so many wrongs that are going to be righted. There will be no more of the type of starvation, the type of disease, the kind of oppression coming upon various people that is occurring today, and the kind of war and rottenness and filth and the breakup of families and the deep aching hurt that people have being confused by things that go wrong and they don't know God and they don't know what to do. When Christ comes, they will know God and they will know what to do. And we'll be there to say, this is the way, walk you in it. We love you. We want to help you. What a wonderful thing that's going to be to look forward to. But it has to get darkest just before the dawn. So look up your heads for redemption. Redemption. Deliverance draws near. So I want to go through an overview of the near future your near future, and I can't cover everything, but I thought it would be helpful at this time. And it's just really been on my mind, being in Mexico and seeing the suffering there and the other things that I've experienced and that I've been reading about so much myself in these prophetic events that are happening over the last few months. Turn with me back to this foundational prophecy, as Mr. Armstrong called it, in Leviticus 26. Leviticus chapter 26. Some people who don't understand say, well, how come you can take old Leviticus 26 and apply that to us? Well, because it is a prophecy to Israel. That's why 
And because we are the descendants of Israel, that's why. And because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's why. And these same things are going to happen to us. And when you read the very end of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you can see the clear intimation that he's talking about the time of the end. So both of these prophecies are dual. They happened back then, but they have an end time fulfillment in our day. He says in verse 3, If you walk in my statutes, what are God's statutes? They include, of course, the, the holy days, tithing, many other things, and keep my commandments and perform them. Then I'll give you rain in due season. You eat your bread to the full. I'll give you peace in the land. Verse 6, all these blessings. But, verse 14, if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you despise my statutes, if you say that those people like us in God's church are rotten and we're homophobes, we hate men, we hate humanity because we do not approve of homosexual marriage and they begin to put us down and marginalize us and, and criticize us and vilify us and demonize us, which they will do before it's all over. He says, if your nation turns that way and despises God's whole way of life, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you break my covenant, I'll do this to you. I will appoint over you terror. That's the very first thing he mentioned. September 11th, 2001. Four and a half years ago, it began. We're in that time, and we're going to have a lot, lot more of that. I've been thinking, frankly, we're overdue, as many authorities have said, for a terrorist, a major terrorist explosion or some sort right here in this nation. We haven't had one yet. It could happen any hour, any day, any night. But no doubt it is coming. Terror, wasting disease, one of the most horrifying, rotten, terrible Wasting diseases in history is AIDS. Completely destroys the immune system. People just fall apart. And of course, all these other diseases that are beginning to come along and are going to affect people terribly. These things are going to happen. So you have terrorism. You have disease epidemics. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. And God shows they're going to take over here and there. We may have to send our food elsewhere to survive and this kind of thing. And those who hate you shall reign over you. And verse 18, after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you sevenfold more, is undoubtedly the correct translation here, some scholars indicate, for your sins. Seven times as bad if you haven't wake, awakened at first. I will break the pride of your power America has had the greatest power of any nation in history. And then before it, the great world leaders, all the way from about 1800 up until 19, 1917 or whenever, the end of the First World War, were the British. The greatest empire in human history, far greater in power and scope than the Roman Empire ever was. The Roman Empire was just right around the Mediterranean. The British Empire spanned the whole globe. The sun never set on the British Empire. So the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh were given the greatest power in human history. At one point several years ago, we controlled over three-fourths of all the developed resources of the entire earth. Just our people, a small portion of the world's population, 
but controlling three-fourths of the world's developed resources. But now he's going to take that away. And brethren, I want to say this. this is something to watch. If any of you are new, if any of you think I'm wrong, just watch. That's all I ask you to do. Look at the fruits. Look at what happens. I'm telling you right now in the name of Jesus Christ, we are cresting. Our power is cresting. We might have a couple more wins and little wars and situations. We're kind of coming like this. And we're ready to go down the other side of the hill. And everything in the world is pointing to that. You know that. The Europeans have been looking down on us increasingly the last several years. I found in talking to some of our Mexican brethren and Mr. Hernandez, that's all through the Latin world. They don't like what we're doing. They think we're the big brother up north that doesn't really pay attention to them. And they're more and more tied in, as you see the Germans, factories all over Mexico said, and the Japanese moving in. They're far more being tied in with them than with us. 400 million. And then you find that 1 billion, over 1 billion Muslims are beginning to hate us with a special hatred. The American and British descended peoples and the democratic nations of Northwestern Europe. I will break the pride of your power. It's going to be broken militarily as things start happening, bad things start to happen. We back off in Iraq. There will not be democracy in Iraq. There will not be a democracy throughout the Middle East. We had a whole cadre of highly intelligent, educated, sophisticated men to help start this nation, the founding fathers, George Washington, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, and so on. They were very familiar with English common law and the whole concept of democracy, and they were all Christian, at least in profession. They were able to understand it and make it work, and God allowed it to be a blessing at that time rather than obey the English King George III. But it's been mainly God's blessing that's given this great nation the blessings we have, not democracy. And our nation's going to learn that in the next several years. Democracy is not the reason. And democracy is going to be taken away all over this earth, and Christ is coming back. And we're going to help Him rule the world and people not vote us in God will put us in, those who are fit, those who are surrendered to God's will and God's government and God's ways. They will be placed in positions by the living Jesus Christ. So we're going to have troubles in the Middle East. Our whole thing in the what peace process they call it, the roadmap to peace in Israel is breaking down. Hamas, terrorist organization is in charge there now. You've heard all that. Just the last few weeks, one thing after the other has been coming along. Remarkable things. I will break the pride of your power. Part of our pride's in our wealth. And, of course, our American dollar has gone up and down, but mainly it's been going down the last few years, and it's going to go down a lot more, a lot, a lot more, my brethren, over the next few years, and you will live to see that. We're sorry, but that's what's going to happen. I will make your heaven as iron and earth as bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain. Your land shall not yield its produce. So now it's not just foreigners getting it. Now you're having drought and famine. And that's going to begin. Disease epidemics, drought, famine, financial crises, foreign nations rising up and us coming down. All that's going to continue. Then if you walk contrary to me or not willing to obey me, I will bring you on you sevenfold more plagues according to your sins. We are loaded with sin, vanity, and arrogance. 
lust, pornography, filth all through our nation. Great business leaders and politicians that lie. They often lie when the truth would serve better. There's a use to lying. I will send wild beasts among you. We don't know how that will work out, but certainly we're going to have various animals. Maybe there will be rabbits, some of our pets, and other things as these disease epidemics come along. Your highways shall be desolate. Eventually, the oil crisis will hit, and our cars will not be swarming up and down the highways. If you still won't be reformed, then I'll punish you sevenfold more and execute the vengeance of my covenant. Verse 25, And when you're gathered together, I will send disease epidemics among you, apparently an even greater amount. And you'll be delivered into the hand of your enemy. So now you begin to see various ones taken. A little hint of it earlier, the South Africans, the white Anglos in South Africa are already suffering terribly, but the total takeover there will perhaps take place. The total takeover of maybe parts of the United States may take place before the final tribulation. Takeover of parts or all of Australia or New Zealand may take place. The brown-skinned people in Indonesia, the Muslims and elsewhere, they've been coveting that wide open space, all that wealth for generations. For generations. Eisenhower tried to stop it even back in his time. Others, they called it the domino effect. One thing falls in the other. That's the reason they fought some of these earlier battles. But eventually, the breaches, the ramparts are going to be breached. And some of those places will be taken over and they'll be gone before the final attack. So you'll be delivered into the hands of your enemy. He'll cut our bread supply. And then, of course, it gets even worse after that. This is what's ahead, and we have to understand it, not be shocked by it, but know that our God has said these things ahead of time very, very clearly, brethren. Notice now Genesis 24, if you would. Genesis chapter 24, here we find Rebekah, the wife of Isaac. You have Abraham, the promise is given to him and his descendants. The promise came down through Isaac and then down through Jacob. And here's a promise given to Isaac, and God put that in the Bible, certainly indicating he was behind it. And so they sent. Rebekah's brother sent her away, verse 59, to marry Isaac, and said, Bless Rebekah. And they said to her, Our sister, may you become mother of thousands, of tens of thousands. In other words, millions of human beings. And may your descendants possess the gates, plural, gates, of those that hate them. Who had the gates? Sea gates, I mean, land gates amounted to practically nothing for the last several hundred years, and all historians acknowledge that there weren't even air gates, if you could even use that term, until very recently. The big gates of wartime, controlling the ship, the, the, the movement of troops and commerce and supplies, were sea gates. And America and Britain, between them, controlled virtually every single major sea gate on earth. And now they're all gone. The Bab el Mandeb is gone. The Suez is gone up north near Iran. And the, the, the Strait of Hormuz, Britain used to control that. That is gone. Singapore and the Malacca Straits is gone. All those gates and many others are gone. And the Panama Canal is gone. And America gave it up. And now the only two gates left, I'm just calling your attention because I want you to focus on that. Jesus says, watch and pray. The only two gates are left are Gibraltar 
the Rock of Gibraltar controlling the Strait of Gibraltar, and the Spanish on the north are agitating powerfully to get that back, and the people further south to think it's the Moroccans also want it back. Who's going to get it? Probably the EU backing the Spanish. But I'm sure that'll be gone before the very end. And down south, you have the Falkland Islands controlling uh, the Cape, uh, or Cape Horn, they call it, because the southern tip of South America kind of goes around like a horn. And the British controlled the Falkland Islands with a great sea base there and had their ships coming out. And during the Falkland War, remember, why we secretly and not so secretly backed and helped Margaret Thatcher and the British sending some of our ships down there to help them win that war. So they were able to win, and the Argentinians backed down. Who's going to help them next time? Nobody. So no doubt both those sea gates will be gone. I'm not saying, but that's probably what's going to happen. One or both of those may go within the next three to six years. We need to watch. Interesting, specific things, big things all over the earth. You young people, we're not talking about tiddlywinks. We're talking about major things that this church, the church of the living God, and this church only understands. There's no other church that understands these things except the church of God descended from Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And we in the living church understand more than the others, I think, because we're doing the work more and whatever. But we do understand these things, and we're getting right out there in front and saying it more specifically, and we're right. So we do need to understand and watch these things. Isaac's descendants were to have these gates. Ishmael was called a wild ass of a man. They were not to have these gates. They were not to have these great national blessings. They came to Isaac's descendants. Very important to understand all that. Again, to understand our national identity. Now watch these remaining gates and see what's going to happen. Watch our financial collapse as the dollar goes down and other things happen. Deuteronomy 28, turn there now if you would. This is a parallel prophecy, just like the Olivet prophecies contained in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So this other prophecy given by Moses is given in two different versions, first in Leviticus 26 and then in a different version, but parallelism, in Deuteronomy 28. He says in verse 1, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Eternal your God, to observe carefully. Brethren, do we observe carefully or do we observe carelessly? Careless, carefully. All His commandments, which I command you, the Eternal your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. What a promise. What peoples in the last 200 years have been set above all nations of the earth? Been no comparison. You know that. It's been the British Commonwealth and American nation. We have been those people. And all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Blessed shall be you in the city. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Verse 7, the eternal will cause your enemies who rise up to be defeated before your face. Yes, we won World War I. We won World War II and all the rest of it. God gave us all of that. But he says, well, no, it's, I want to catch chapters, uh, verses 12 and 13. Interesting in the middle here. Verses 12, The Lord will open to you His good treasure, the heavens. He's put America and the British Commonwealth nations primarily in the temperate parts of the earth with rich soil. 
and rich natural resources to give the rain in your, to your land in that season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow, and the Eternal will make you the head and not the tail. Who's this talking about? Well, it's not hard for anyone who reads to understand that. Who's been those people for the last 200 years? We have. Uh, Britain used to help the other nations. Go out there, get them going, lend them money, build schools, build roads. You go all over the great nation of India. Did they build that? Where did all those great broad highways of these great big powerful buildings come from? Most of them were built by the British before they left. And some British businessmen, I mean Indian businessmen, not British, Indian businessmen told Mr. David John Hill and me when we were there in 1963, he said the British left too soon. They knew it was better for them to stay longer. Things would have been going better. But they left and then there began to be horrible starvation and sectarian warfare and all the rest of it. Where Calcutta was called the cesspool of the world or the hellhole of the world. People were dying in the streets. And we went over there and saw that. And after spending two or three days in Calcutta, I came back and I wrote this article in The Plain Truth, Ten Reasons Why Christ Must Come Again. And I was inspired. I saw people dying virtually right in front of my eyes. And the big garbage trucks would come around each morning and they had these big ice tongs like the icemen used to come. But they weren't delivering or picking up ice. They were picking up human bodies all over the city and taking them over to the river and burning them there. Unnamed, unknown human beings made in God's image, all huddled up at night in the cold, and all they had, a bunch of rags they used for a pillow under their head at night, hoped some other beggar wouldn't steal that, and they died. No name, no social security card to see who they were, no driver's license, no food, no nothing. And they were dying with the thousands in the hellhole of the world. So God blessed our nations. And we lent, and we had the Lend-Lease program. We had the, what was it, the Hoover Plan to rebuild all of Europe in World War II, the Marshall Plan after World War II. And we had, of course, the Lend-Lease program to help Britain win the Second World War and help hold off until we could get in. We've done that. We've lent to other nations. But now it's going the other way. We were the world's greatest lender. But in the last 8 to 12, 15 years, whatever it is, we have now become by far the greatest borrower in the history of the entire planet. No other nation has remotely borrowed or is now borrowing as much money as the United States is doing from other nations, which puts us at their mercy in many ways. This has already happened. You young people, maybe you don't read, you may not know that. That's already happening, has happened. And it's getting worse day by day. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the eternal your God, verse 15, to observe carefully His commandments and statutes, all these curses will come upon you. Curse shall be in the city, in the country. Curse shall be your basket. We have food that's foodless food. It's been artificially manufactured and the goodness has been taken out of it. It's been sprayed with poison sprays so we end up with diabetes. We end up with cancer. We end up with every kind of disease. Curse shall be the fruit of your body. Our children often born deformed and things wrong far more than before. What's going on? These things are beginning to happen. Curse shall you be when you come in and go out. Many of our wealthy cities or successful cities, whatever you want to call them, have whole enclaves, gated communities. 
so the people who have something can hide and the other people won't come and rob them or rape their wife. have to live inside of an armed camp in our own cities. But the Eternal will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you destroyed and you perish quickly. Verse 21, the Eternal will make the plague claim to you. Consumption, fever, inflammation, scorching, and mildew. Scorching, too much sun and the dry heat on one hand, and mildew, alternate drought and floods, which you also read, as you remember, in the book of Micah. Sometimes too much water, sometimes too little water. And all these things are going to come on our people because we have turned away from God. He says in verse 41, You shall beget sons and daughters, but shall not, they shall not be yours, for they will go into captivity. I don't look forward to that. Some of my children are not in the church. Maybe they'll go into captivity. Some of your children or grandchildren may go into captivity. Our young people don't understand. What's it going to take to wake up the young people? God is going to deal with them and His mercy, I know but he may have to put them through some terrible times first to wake them up. So what about us older people that sit on our hands and can't get excited? God will get a way to wake us up too and get us closer to him and get us excited. The alien who is among you. We're not against the alien. We love the other people here in God's church. We want to serve them and help them. God is just showing something he is going to do to humble the people of Israel because they've been bad. He didn't say the aliens are bad. He says we're bad. So you of different national origins understand that. I'm not preaching against you. I'm showing what God has to do to wake Israel up. The alien shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. More of them are going to become mayors of the cities and then leading positions, and the white Anglo-Saxon Celtic people of the descendants of Israel are going to have more and more trouble, and God is going to take our face like my friends used to do me, <laughs> friends, <laughs> little boys, and push our face right down in the snow at night, you know, in the, in the wintertime, you know what I mean? We'd, we'd have these uh, kid things and we'd get over it then. But this is big stuff. This is adult stuff. And God is going to do that to wake us up and humble us so we won't feel so proud and complacent. All these curses shall come upon you. He says, no, he goes ahead here again. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. The alien, and not just in our nation, but all over the world. We're borrowing from the Japanese. We're borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars from the Japanese and the Chinese and the Germans. Interesting. Some of our major enemies in the past are now our greatest creditors. Wow. Does it ever occur to them that they're getting even? You better believe it does. They're not stupid. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed. Yes, the great tribulation, because you did not obey the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you, and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and on your descendants forever, well, not forever, but in this life, till Christ comes, because you did not serve, notice, the eternal your God with joy and gladness of all things for the abundance of all things. We're to learn to be so grateful we know the truth. As Mr. Bomer said, we can be grateful we're here on this beautiful Sabbath, a winter, wintry day, but a good Sabbath inside, the love, the warmth, the fellowship, the encouragement, and be grateful that God has helped us understand the whole purpose of human existence with these people out there don't understand. 
And I know some of you and younger people say, well, things don't change that much because you don't have a perspective. You don't realize how it was when I grew up and virtually rape was virtually never heard of and murdered when I grew up and things like that. It was just so different. We left our doors unlocked. I remember my sister Catherine, she's sitting here, Mrs. Ames, she'll remember. She'd go over to Mrs. Porter's for her violin lesson about a mile away. And sometimes in the winter it got dark before she would come back. And to protect her in this terribly dangerous city, my little old mother, about five feet tall and weak as a kitten, she would go and meet Catherine so she would be all right. Of course, I was a teenage boy and I smiled about that. I thought, what good's mother going to be? <laughs> you take one hand and throw her against the wall and run off with Catherine. Well, of course, that never happened. But I remember several times my mother going to meet Catherine when it was after dark, walking all alone. <laughs> Joplin was a safe city. The whole society was different. That's all I'm trying to express. The whole society was different. And we were much safer and things were much better at that time. And we were, our nation was held in much greater esteem and all the rest of it. In verse 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Eternal will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of all things. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. God's going to put a yoke of iron. A yoke, it means a slavery thing, as it is throughout the Bible. And bring a nation, a swift nation, whose language you don't understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. The modern Assyrians are warlike people, have been for generations and centuries, and they're going to be used by God. Do we hate them? No. Some of my best friends have been descendants of the Assyrians. But God is using that national tendency to help us, to teach us a lesson we need to learn. He uses the strength of each nation. So let's understand. Notice a parallel scripture that helps explain this one over in uh, Isaiah, if you would. Let's turn at this point, brethren, to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47. Verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. So this is a daughter of the ancient Babylon, this whole Babylonian system that God talks about. Sit on the ground, O daughter of the Chaldeans. You'll no more be called tender and delicate, and so on. He says in verse 5, Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you'll no longer be called the city of kingdoms or the lady of kingdoms. Notice that's one of her titles. Notice, the lady of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. Who are God's birthright people? The scepter was given to Judah, but the birthright is Joseph's. Joseph's. Ephraim and Manasseh, the American and British descended peoples, angry with my people, I profaned my inheritance. We were the heirs. We were given the birthright and given them into your hand, into the hand of modern Babylon. You showed them no mercy on the elderly. This modern Babylonian system, you see, used to be ancient Assyria did it to the uh, Israelites. And Babylon did it to the Jews. Today, it's the Assyrians as the major nation in the Babylonian system, all of them working together this time. On the elderly, you laid your yoke, 
the yoke of slavery very heavily. And notice, you said, I shall be a lady forever. Where did we just read this? <laughs> Back in Deuteronomy, that's where we just read it. The same phrase exactly is used here that's used there, you see. I will be a lady forever, so that you do not take these things to heart nor remember the latter end. So that's what God is telling us. Modern Babylon is going to bring this yoke of slavery, the great tribulation on the birthright nations of Ephraim and Manasseh. And now, brethren, uh, let's turn at this point to uh, Revelation 18. We see more here. Revelation uh, 18. You'll notice here, starting in verse 1, he's been describing the great false church and the ten-nation beast power rising up in verse 17. And in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1, well, he says at the end of chapter 17, notice the woman, this great false church whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What great church has done that down through time? Think about it. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated. He cried mightily, Babylon the great. There are a huge power that's going to come up, affecting powerfully the whole earth. The Babylon has fallen, has fallen, has become a habitation of demons and a prison for every foul spirit. Every demonic spirit becomes part of that system. And if you read some of these books I've recommended, you begin to understand that in God's name by David Yallop and this other book name doesn't come to me right now. Babylon has fallen, become a habitation of demons, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hated bird for all the nations. Brethren, again, understand what God is saying. He doesn't say some of the nations. He says all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. What do we mean by that? Well, you go down, you read about what ancient Babylon did, and you go through the Middle East, which I've done a couple of times and spent a whole lot of time there back in 1963 with David John Hill. And you see how they used to sacrifice the, the maidens and cut their hearts out. And they had the pyramids. And sometimes the priests would do this on a high place at the top of a big thing like that. And then the other day in Mexico, I was standing in the Mexican pyramid and showed how the, the, the priest would cut the woman's heart out, the young woman, hold her ble bleeding heart up to the gods. What? Babylon, the same thing. They have pyramids. They have their gods of this and gods of that. Satan has done it all over this earth. Satan lusts after the blood of human beings. The life is in the blood. And they like to shed the blood in these systems when you understand it's horrible. God hates it. I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking about reality. Millions of people have been involved in these things. Tens of millions, perhaps hundreds, for all the nations, not some nations, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, her false religion. And the kings of the earth have gone into politics with this system, this false church and this whole false religious system. And her merchants have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. The Nazi system was trying to revive it, they divide, uh, revived a little bit of it for a little while. And the Krups and the Tysons and the great industrial barons of, of, uh, of Germany were riding very high at that time. 
and up and down the Kerferstendam, they were clinking their beer steins together and say, well, we've got the Americans. They won World War II, but look, we've already conquered Europe and they're next. And they were rejoicing. Became billionaires supplying Hitler with munitions. But they didn't fully understand the United States. <laughs> and they didn't fully understand God's plan. It wasn't God's time yet, yet, for us to suffer our final punishment. But it is now. We are near the end of 6,000 years, my friends, and it's going to happen now in the lifetimes of the vast majority of you. And so, once again, up and down the Kerferstendam, up and down Via Veneto and Rome, they're going to be clinking their beer steins and clinking their wine glasses and saying those bloody, selfish, vain, egotistical, think they have everything made Americans, they finally got theirs. Don't think they won't think that. They will. And they'll see we've done wrong and we've come across as arrogant sometimes and mean and very sinful. And so they will have their chance now for a short time. All the nations of the earth have been involved in this. And the merchants have become rich. They'll become huge trading partners with the nations of Central and South America, yes. And the Catholic nations there. Very, very involved in that. And I heard another voice saying, come out of her. We can't be part of this world's politics. And my brethren, some of you are black people. Some of you are Latinos. And you hear me talking about the Central and South American people. Are we trying to divide up the church? No. I just quote to you what my doctor friend, my dear friend, Dr. Benjamin Ray said so many years ago. I named my elder son, Michael Ray, my firstborn son after him, Michael R.E.A., after Dr. Benjamin Ray, with whom I spent thousands of hours. And he was a teacher in the early years of Ambassador College, and we used to have back then, it was kind of fun, it wasn't a terrible thing, but we had a little bit too much of the North-South thing, and, well, these Southerners had this bad speech, and we'd persecute them, and the Southerners get on us, and so on. And Dr. Ray said, when he was talking about this problem, he says, which part of Babylon are you proud to be from? Think about that. Which part of Babylon are you proud to be from? In one sense, we can be glad to be American, or we can do this or that, but in another sense, we've all been part of Babylon. Are the Protestants better than the Catholics? No. No. We're equally deceived. We've done horrible things. Are the whites better than the blacks or the Mexicans? Not in God's sight. No. God has put us all the same. We're all human beings before Him spiritually. We should not be proud to be part of any part of Babylon. We should obey Christ's or Apostle Paul's uh, indication, his teaching. He said, my citizenship is in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven, he says in Philippians, the second chapter. That's our ultimate citizenship. It's up in heaven and Christ is going to bring it back, which Paul indicated, from which Christ will come back. You're not going to keep it there. We don't go to heaven. I don't want to make you think that. I think you know better than that. All right. Let's understand. Come out of her, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This system is going to be punished horribly. And my brethren and you brethren around the world, wherever you are, you're going to be tempted to be part of this system. You're going to be tempted to join in. It's going to be rich. It's going to be powerful. All the in crowd's going to be there. That's the way to go. The great ecumenical movement. Let's all go back to the mother church, right? 
wrong because you read about the end of that system over here in Revelation uh, chapter 20. It says, The beast and the false prophet were gathered together and their armies against Christ. Revelation chapter 19, I'm sorry, verse 19. And they were gathered together against Christ. And then the beast was captured, verse 20, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those. Yes, he's going to deceive people. Who, a few uh, people off in the hills somewhere? No. He deceives those who receive the mark of the beast. And that's the vast majority of human beings. And those who worshiped his image. These two, the coming dictator, who's going to be absolutely adulated, if you think that they shouted, Heil Hitler and Bivil Duce to Hitler and Mussolini, with great fervor, you wait till the next guy comes along. If you think that they shouted, which I saw with people shaking and crying like their God had appeared, you know, Vville Papa, Vville Papa, screaming and yelling when their God appears on that balcony, I'll tell you, brethren, you can think this is, this is something. It must be the power of God. No. These two guys are going to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck by the living Jesus Christ. God says it. And they shall be cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Not a very glorious end. But they will be in total power for about three and a half years. And that three and a half years will seem like a long time to some people. But in God's time, it's very short. So don't give in to that poll. Their time is coming. And their reign is short. So we've got to realize and watch this system develop in continental Europe. It's not going to develop over in Africa or somewhere. You know, down through the years, why Hal Lindsey and all these other prophetic guys, they'll come out and say, well, the beast is the, is the Arab nations. They've got control of the oil and they all got together under Nasser. And others have said, oh, it's the Soviet Union, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. And some of them tried to make it be that way. Some of these Protestant theologians, they don't understand. They do not understand. God has not given them an understanding. A good understanding have they that do His commandments, plural, including the Sabbath. That's why we have an understanding. Not because we're a lot smarter, but because God has opened our mind and opened our heart so we can understand. No, the beast and the coming revived Roman Empire is not going to be in China and their various provinces. You know, they might have ten provinces. They think that'll make up the beast. Some have said they're the ones. All kinds of ideas of men. No. It's going to be right in Europe where the woman is because the woman rides the beast. That's where it's been and that's where it's going to be. And we need to understand that. So watch this system develop. Notice back in uh, Revelation chapter 17, he's been describing this great harlot who sits upon many waters. And the waters are identified in verse 15 as many nations speaking different languages. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication. They've got into all kinds of politics and wars under the guidance of this false church. And I saw a woman, verse 3, sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The beast, the coming dictatorial power in Europe. But notice how it's worded. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Understand brethren, the woman rides the beast and influences that beast 
And that beast is not over in the Arab countries, has never been. It's not in Africa. It's not in the Soviet Union. It's not in China. It's right there in continental Europe where it has always been. And that's what you're going to see over the next 7 to 17 years of your life. It's developing right now, of course. And we try to keep you apprised of it. So let's understand what this is talking about and do not be deceived. Back to Revelation 13. In the first few verses of Revelation 13, he talks about the beast, that is, having the ten horns and seven heads and ten horns, this Roman Empire, how it was uh, dead, mortally wounded in 476, and then how it revived in 554 under Justinian and had power to continue. But then in verse 11, Then I saw another beast, he describes here, coming up out of the earth. Another beast, not the Roman Empire, And he, an individual, had two horns like a lamb. Now, he looks good. The lamb is the term of Jesus Christ. So he looks like Jesus Christ, and a lot of people will think he is. And he spoke like who? The dragon. (laughs) The dragon is Satan the devil, you see. He looks good, but he speaks the devil's message. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Roman Empire, and causes through his influence, through this uh, false church, the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the Roman Empire. They worship. They do what the Roman Empire says. His you are to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, God tells us back in Romans chapter 6. Get that. His you are to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey. They're following Him against the commandments of God. They're worshiping Him in that way. He performs this coming great false prophet, great signs, not little signs, great signs. And He makes even fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. What if within the next five to ten years you see a great religious man that is great in power and influence and he literally brings down fire? in the front of hundreds of thousands of people right there in St. Peter's Square. That's a big place. I've been there several times. Extremely impressive. And people scream and cry and the women faint and everyone thinks the great power of God. Okay? Ask this. Which God? The God of this world or the God of creation? Because the God of the Bible says this man cooperating with and influencing this coming beast power is going to perform great miracles, great signs, and he will bring down fire. He doesn't say it'll be a little thing over here and it's a trick using mirrors or something. Satan is the prince of the power of the air and God is going to give Satan certain limited authority to do some of those things through this man within the lifetimes of many of you sitting right here and you hearing around the world today. We're living in exciting times. But brethren, as we understand these things and we understand how close we are, it should drive us to our knees and we ought to be crying out to God and really understanding how real our God is and how important our calling is now. And He deceives those who dwell on earth by the signs He was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Yes, this is going to happen. Extremely powerful things. So we do need to understand. Turn now to Daniel chapter 11, if you would. Daniel chapter 11 in your Old Testament and a prophecy to which Jesus often referred 
as part of the Word of God. Daniel 11. Here in verse 31 is a passage that most scholars and certainly God's church has understood as a prophecy referring to the time of the end. Daniel 11, 31. Forces shall be mustered by him, this final dictator, this final Hitler, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifices. As we've said, a number of prophecies, and I preached on that a year or so ago, Several places in Daniel and elsewhere talk about animal sacrifices being offered in Jerusalem, probably on the Temple Mount before the end. This dictator will take them away and place there the abomination of desolation. The original type of this, of course, was about 170 A.D. in the person of a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. And he literally put an idol of Jupiter Olympus or some other pagan god, they argued about which one, in that temple and offered swine's flesh, hog's flesh, on the temple of God, in the temple of God. Profaned it terribly. And he killed the Jews, did all kinds of horrible things. Those who do wicked against the covenant, he'll corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Well, they had some very dedicated men back at that time do certain exploits, but at the time of the end, they're just a type of what we're to do and having courage to preach powerfully what's going to happen. And God will use some of us, no doubt, to warn people, to help them. But some of the those of understanding, verse 35, shall fall to refine them, to purge them, to make them white. Many of God's people, particularly those, of course, who are Laodicean, they have the form they keep the Sabbath. They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation twelve seventeen. But they're Laodicean. They have a nice social club. They do not have the fire in their belly to be stirred to go all out to do the work of God. And so God will purge them and make them white until the time of the end. So He's talking about our time because it is still for an appointed time. Then the king should do according to his will. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every god. And let me point out verse 36, brethren, because a lot of people think, get confused about verses 36 to 39. They think that this is talking about the great false prophet because this final great military dictator and the final great false prophet are both egomaniacs, frankly. Both of them think of themselves as God. They're both going to exalt themselves. But these verses are not talking about the false prophets. They're talking about the coming Hitler. Hitler pranced around like he was God. You know that. And yet the people worshiping the Pope back then like he was God. And how much more the final one when he brings down fire from heaven and things like that. So both of them are going to be very much into themselves. That's the trouble of why so many Hollywood marriages break up. You have Miss Taylor marrying Mr. Burton, and she's no more Miss than anything. She's had four or five husbands before she married him. And Mr. Richard Burton is this great actor, and he has his vanity. And she's Miss Elizabeth Taylor, and she has her vanity. She's a goddess, and he's a god. And the two gods to get together in the same house. What happens? Bang! <laughs> Neither one will worship the other. Neither one will obey the other. Neither one will submit to the other. And God commands us to submit to one another. They don't want to do that. That's the way with these two guys. They're both filled with vanity, and they'll, they'll work together for a while, but eventually it's going to blow up. 
And, of course, the beast will hate the whore and burn her with fire. Set fire to some of the churches, kill some of the priests, and all. Finally, at the time of the end, as it says there in Revelation chapter 17, but this man shall magnify himself above every god and speak blasphemy. Oh, he's kind of a god himself and prosper. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women. Oh, he doesn't follow the traditional religion. He may outwardly, but he's using that, he thinks, and the final religious leader thinks he's using him, and each one is trying to use the other one, their influence for their own purpose. But in their place, he shall honor a god of fortresses. Well, this religious leader is not going to have do that. He doesn't have all the armies. He just has all his priests and all of his false religion. Here is the dictator and a God which his fathers did not know. See, he's going to have a type of military power with giant space mirrors, direct energy weapons and stuff like that way beyond what we have today. And those things may be planned part even right now. It's going to be a horrible military machine that he's going to be in charge of. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance in glory and cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. He's going to cooperate with these ten other kings and they will give their power to him at the end there. At that time, when this great dictator arises in Europe, and again, that'll probably happen in about the next seven to 17 years. Could be a year or two sooner year or two later, but I think in that time frame, at that time, the time of the end, our time, your time, the king of the south, a whole group of Arab nations, no doubt, like they did under Gamal Abdel Nasser. We used to think he might be the one that didn't work out. Shall attack him, that is this coming dictator in Europe. Now the Arabs can get very hysterical thinking that their shouting and screaming makes them stronger but the Germans and the French and the uh, other people along with them, no doubt, and, and Spain and Portugal and, and uh, Italy, they have technological prowess far beyond those other people, and they're going to win. He'll come down with a whirlwind. Hitler's air force is called, and his armies a blitzkrieg, lightning war. And so they just come down with tremendous military power and crush this king of the south. And he, this coming European dictator over the final revival of the Holy Roman Empire, shall enter the glorious land. So he's going to come right into Palestine, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon, or Ammon, which is probably Moab and Ammon, or mainly the Jordanians. Their capital is named Ammon or Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He'll take over Egypt. He'll have power over the treasures of those nations. But news from the east and north, what's east and north of Jerusalem? The Soviet Union, China, Mongolia, a lot of those Russian oriental hordes are going to get together in this 200 million man army described in Revelation. This news shall trouble him. They realize they've got to stop this man or he will conquer the whole world and they don't want that. They've got more people than he has. He may have more technological, but they'll have and already do have atomic bombs. So the final explosion would blow this earth up. There would be cosmicide at that point if Christ did not intervene and stop it. 
Therefore, he'll go out with great fury, destroy and annihilate many. So, brethren, these articles, which you, I hope you will read right here. I won't take time to read them, but they're coming out point after point. I have more that I've uh, copied out and tore out here of the Washington Post, the Jerusalem Newswire, uh, these other uh, sources about these events, how the whole Muslim world is rising up. They're getting together. They're using the excuse of these cartoons, and they're turning violently against the Europeans. I say excuse because the common people are easily led, and some of their leaders are stirring it up for their own purposes. This is not the end, but it's the beginning, the beginning of that coalescing of, of hatred and unity of the Arab nations against the Europeans and vice versa. So they will eventually provoke or attack or stir up the Europeans and bring this final event about. The stage is set. The timing is up to God. These things are happening. Read about them. They're very, very exciting. And they're looking right now, as some of these articles bring out, for the final uh, caliphate, the final Mahdi, and some call it the great political religious leader. They call a Mahdi a combination religious and political leader to come and save them from the Western civilization, whom they regard as inferior, and, of course, they regard as sinful and, and vulgar which in some ways we are. So they feel superior about that and they want to wipe us off the map. So that is going to happen and the stage is already set. A very exciting time when you understand it. So now these Islamic powers are getting together and causing trouble far beyond anything they've ever done in modern times. The king of the south, brethren, one so-called prophet of recent time... <laughs> he calls himself that, has said the king of the south is Iran. It's not Iran. I'll just tell you that. Just lay that right out there. As I've said before, Great Britain will not be in the final ten nations. They will not be there. They are Ephraim, and they will not be there. Another definite statement, I will say, in contradiction to these false prophets, the king of the south will not be Iran. Iran, get a map. All the indications in the Bible about distances and directions are based on Jerusalem. Iran is north of Jerusalem. But this man, at that time, the king of the south. Oh, but Iran is north. It's not going to be Iran. Point number two. If you look in Revelation or in Daniel 11, which we just did, he talks about Edom and Moab and Ammon, Jordan, perhaps Turkey. Other nations there, Egypt shall not escape, and so on. Where is Persia mentioned? It's not mentioned. Oh, why? Because they're not involved. They're not involved. He's not the king of the south, that is the Persians, which is modern Iran. Point number three, the Iranians are overwhelmingly Shiite Muslims. And all through the Arab world, everyone knows that the Sunnis that part of the Muslims are far greater, far greater in number. And the Sunnis have stated they're not going to be bossed around by the Shiites. They greatly outnumber them. They're going to have the Shiites telling them what to do, and yet the Iranians are Shiites. So you've got three very strong indications right there. Iran is not the king of the south. The king of the south will probably be Egypt, probably be Egypt because it's the major nation in terms of population and armies. Or it could be, if it's a strictly religious type emphasis at the time, it could be Saudi Arabia, 
because they're the ones that have Medina and Mecca, the great religious centers, you see. We're not saying for sure, but it's sure not going to be Iran. I do say that probably either Egypt or Saudi Arabia, most likely Egypt. So these things are beginning to happen and going to happen, and you have to watch. In Daniel 9, we've covered this, so I like to have more time, but I don't want to take too much time here. You read of this 70 weeks prophecy about Christ and His coming and His, His ministry. And it says in verse 26, you have seven weeks and then 62 weeks, 483 years from the time they begin to rebuild Jerusalem. And that brings you up to uh, 27 A.D. when Christ's ministry began. And so after 62 weeks, you see, the Messiah shall be cut off during His ministry. But interesting, men divided these verses. God didn't. You don't find verses in the Bible. You just find the whole scroll of Isaiah. And so it's a different thought beginning halfway through this verse. And the people of the prince who is to come. What prince? Well, when you read the whole context and what he's been talking about all the way through here, Daniel, it's very obvious. The prince of the Roman Empire at the time of the end. The people of the prince who is to come. Not Christ. He's already described how he's been cut off. Now he starts another theme. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Christ didn't do that. This Roman prince did. Titus came in and destroyed it. The Roman prince, Titus. And the end of it shall be with the flood till the end of the war. Yet Titus, of course, was the type of the final prince. Then he, this final prince, shall confirm a covenant or agreement with many for one week. The indication is this may well be a covenant for they allow the Jews to offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount. And that's going to be a seven-year treaty or covenant. But in the middle of the week, halfway through that covenant, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. And, of course, as we saw, they're mentioned back in Daniel 11, where we were. They're also mentioned in Daniel 12, verse 11, that those sacrifices would be. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, and so on. At the time of the end, when the final punishment is poured out on the desolator, the final dictator of the final Roman prince. If there is such a covenant made, if there is some type of treaty like this made, somewhere in the range of 2010, 11, 12, 13, then you would have a very good indication of what might be occurring. You still wouldn't know the day or the hour, but you begin to know the probable year. It's exciting. Watch and pray. Think about it. If the most likely date would be 2011, then such a treaty would be made about five and one-half years from now in the autumn of 2011. We used to think that the 6,000 years would most likely end in 2017, but checking and revising, it looks like it's 2018. You say, well, you may revise it again and make it 2019. I know that. I would not base, let me say this, and all you people around the world understand it. I would not base, and I've said this many times. My older students have heard me say it in class, I'm sure. I would not base one ten-thousandth part of my salvation on any prophecy of anybody, including myself. You don't base your salvation on that. I'm just giving you something to watch and to think about. You see, get it. <laughs> but if that's the case, 2018, then you count back seven years, 
and you come back to the autumn of 2011. So if that is the case or somewhere in that range, then you would, what would you have to have? I'm just helping you think. If that was to be that in five and a half years, then before the five and a half years, what do you have to have? Well, the dictator has to already be there. He can't make a, prop, a, a treaty unless he's already there. <laughs> you follow me? So it might be the dictator would appear sometime in the next four, six, eight years, you see, in the four or five, if 2011 is the year. And then you would have to have, no doubt, the false prophet, the final false prophet to appear in that range because they work together. And then you would have to have the United States really, really getting weak by that time before these attacks would all occur. And you would have to have a lot of other things starting to happen. But even if we're several years early, you're going to see a lot of these things happen within your lifetime. Your lifetime. Because they are going to happen and God's Word is sure. His time is not our time always. He might delay. But on the other hand, God says these days may be cut short. So let's wake up to that possibility too. So these are very, very exciting times to help us, I hope, to understand and to watch and to pray. Meanwhile, what should you do? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, brethren. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he's talking to our fathers about this very type of thing, exactly as you will see. And he tells us what would be done and what we ought to do now. Deuteronomy 4, verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, act corruptly. Are we acting corruptly? You better believe it. With all of our harlotry, all of our homosexuality, all of our drug addiction and all the rest of it, and make a carved image. We have all kinds of carved images in our churches representing Christ. You can't take the Christ of the Bible whose face shines like the sun and put Him in a box at a picture frame. That's blasphemy in God's sight. But where we make idols of all of our material things and all the things we've done, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that you shall perish from this land. And God says, The Eternal will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in numbers among the nations where the Eternal will drive you. And there you will serve God, so-called God's, the work of men's hands. Yes, you're going to have to bow down before some of the Catholic idols and other things, no doubt. But from there you will seek the eternal, your God. Finally, hundreds of millions of people, some who have heard Mr. Armstrong, some who will have heard us, because even though we're smaller and do not have the capacity he had, God may use up through the power of the Internet and others to get this message out with far greater power than has ever been done. God's going to reach the world, brethren. Now, he doesn't have to use you and me, but if we're willing, He can and He will so people can understand. They can't shake their face at God and say, God, God, why didn't you tell us? He'll say, I did tell you through my servants. And He's going to do that. So if these things happen and you seek the eternal, your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and all your soul to begin to cry out to God. I hope I can do that. I hope you can do that in the years to come, to be stirred by the fact we really are at the time of the end and to study this book and to go around in an attitude of prayer and pray quiet prayers throughout the day in your own mind and say, I'm walking with God, my hand's in God's hand. Use me, guide me, Father, help me, clean me up, scrub me out, help me to get closer to you. This is what God wants us to do. If you seek Him, 
when you're in distress and all these came up, things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the eternal your God and then begin to obey His voice. That's what God says people will finally do and we better learn, my brethren, to do that now. So let's understand that and let's do our part now. These things can stir us. But let's turn back to Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 21 here. He describes how Jerusalem will be conquered and led into all nations by the Gentiles and so on. And he says in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity in the sea and the waves roaring. Horrible things happening like happened in the tsunami over there in Southeast Asia. These things are going to get worse. People just say, what's going on? I don't understand it. You can understand. You should understand. You must understand. And it should drive you to your knees and draw you closer to the Creator and your Father in heaven. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth of the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see, finally, after this, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, and they're beginning even now, my friends, in a small way, that when they begin to happen, not just when they end, but when they begin to happen, look up. You don't have to look down and be sad. You don't need to toss and turn at night. Just realize if you put your hand in God's hand and you really do walk with God, you can look up because your redemption draws near. You can be grateful. You can be thankful. You can say, Father, please help these poor people. I pray for them. I pray for America. I pray for Britain. I pray for our people out there on the streets. Help them to wake up. Help us to reach them. Help us to get this work going. Help us to give the witness. Help us to give the message of the kingdom of God. But please send Jesus soon so it's all over. Please send Jesus soon so we can help these people in a powerful way. The starving people, the abused women, the little children, sex slaves, the people that are hooked on marijuana and drugs all over the world can be awakened and we can help them and say, this is the way walk you in. Lift, look up. Lift up your heads. Deliverance is near. Christ's coming is near. And be grateful for that. Not depressed. Grateful. The great God you and I serve is beginning to show His power, His hand, His name, and the power of His name. So pray with feeling. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven.